what up what up this is the spawn on me podcast welcome everybody to the show this is episode 312 of our podcast i'm your host Khalif adams and i'm here this week and every week with my man my mellow the smoothest kind of fellow myself uh <laughs> massive love to everybody out in in podcast land x-ray land in twitch land who are joining us for our live recording here on this wonderful friday uh, really excited for today's show because we have lots of stuff to talk about, lots of stuff that we're going to dig into uh, because it has been a really, really dope week uh, and it has been a lot of fun uh, getting into so many online conversations, fights and beefs uh, this week. <laughs> um, it's been a whirlwind of emotions and it's been a whirlwind of anxiety uh, because of all the things that are going on in Bracago. Again, everyone in the chat, uh, super excited to see you all tonight uh, and everybody else who's going to be listening to this uh, in podcast form and on the radio here in Portland, Oregon. Um, thank you for listening to the show last week. We had a blast talking on episode 311 of the show, talking about a whole bunch of games we've been playing and just news of the week. Uh, this week is going to be a little bit different uh, because I had the fortune of being able to do a review on another site that wasn't on Spawnomi's actual podcast. So it is rare for me to be able to get into my writing bag like I used to do uh, when I was doing Spawnpoint blog, which was almost at this point, I think nine years ago. I think it's probably maybe even eight years ago at this point, maybe where small point blog was still kicking and I was still trying to write things on the internet and hoping that people would check it out. Um, but this week, <clears throat> um, it's all about one of the most anticipated games in the space, uh, at, at least, especially in 2019, something that we've been talking about since 2016. And that is death stranding from Kojima productions, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Hideo Kojima, um, has finally put his, his opus out into the world. Um, and we had a chance to, I had a chance to go through it, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and on the eighth, all of you will be able to, uh, go through it as well. If you choose, it has been, um, a really crazy couple of weeks. So two weeks ago or so, uh, I was approached by the folks from the Hollywood reporter uh, to say, Hey, you know, we, we know we enjoy your work. Uh, we'd love for you to review death stranding for us. Um, would you be interested? I freaked out because one, uh, I've worked with the Hollywood reporter once before, and it was a really fun experience. They are a huge site. Uh, it is getting in front of lots of people, uh, which is exactly what you want when you're trying to figure out good ways to be able to showcase your work. Um, but it's especially cool because Hollywood Reporter, although they have a game section, their connectivity to not only the entertainment world, but into the bigger kind of um, movies and, 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 and that kind of space is really fun. And to be able to kind of connect those two worlds is is really cool, especially when you have a game as big as Death Stranding that everybody has been trying to review and everybody is really excited about. So it it was something that I had to jump on really quickly and say, yeah, I'm totally down to do this because why wouldn't you be down to do something like this? Um, so then the process kind of starts and it's been a rocky road with most companies in Sony, I would say in terms of a PR perspective, uh, it's not easy to get behind those walls uh, to be able to get to talk to people uh, from the Sony PlayStation side of things to get review code or to be able to, uh, kind of, you know, get in their good graces. Uh, we've been trying for a very long time to do so, you know, based on the relationship that we had prior, um, and also kind of moving forward, it's been great to be able to, um, you know, get to talk to those folks again in real ways about doing some work together. Cause I'll be honest, they have some of the most anticipated stuff coming out in the next couple of years. And we want to be on top of our game here on spawn on me. We want to make sure that we're showcasing, uh, all the kind of latest and, and, and greatest that we have in the space. So, um, chopped it up with the, with the folks over at, uh, at, um, uh, Hollywood reporter, uh, shout out to my man, uh, 
Shout out to my man, Mr. Shanley over there, uh, who is a fantastic editor uh, and a wonderful person uh, in general to be able to, to work with. Um, so it's always cool to be able to hang out with people who are doing great work. Um, so got the got the word that I was going to be able to do it. Got super hyped and really excited for it. Started the process, uh, got the codes from from Sony. They shot it over. And they had this really interesting way that they wanted this particular embargo to go, because usually uh, behind the scenes, when you get an embargo, um, you get a set date. You'll have the time frame that you'll be able to do your review and get your work done. And then you'll have uh, another set of time where you'll be able to try to figure out like, all right, so I've done the work. I've gotten the, the, the ideas in my head down. How do I want to kind of execute on you know, how this review is going to be done. Sometimes those things are done in written format. Sometimes they're asked for in a video format. Um, so it really depends on a lot of different things and how you will, how you'll usually attack a project like that. And usually you don't have as much time as we've had to review Death Stranding as most games. You'll get maybe a week or two before embargo happens. We had it for, I think, almost three weeks. Uh, to be able to dig through it, uh, which is a really long time. And I think for a game this big, you need that amount of time to be able to do that work in a, in a good way. Um, so that was really uh, interesting to see that kind of play itself out from a different perspective, which was cool. But the meat and potatoes of it was we would be able to do work in a couple of different ways. One would be the first initial embargo dropped today. So today is November 1st uh, uh, in terms of when we're recording this, but you'll be hearing this a couple of days later. Um, and November 1st was the first deadline. So that was what the first one where everybody was going to be able to get out their initial thoughts and initial reviews and things like that and spread those out across the internet. And that was only really going to be up to from the prologue of the game to the third chapter. Um, which is for me something different. I've not had a embargo where it was chunked out and you had to kind of like only talk about a section of the game, uh, which was really weird in terms of trying to figure out how to do a review for it. Um, the second embargo that you will all be able to kind of take part in as consumers and myself as well will be around the 11th of November. So the 11th of November, anyone who's gotten a copy of the game early, uh, who will be able to talk about the game in its fullest way. You'll be able to talk about the entire game. Of course, they ask people to not share spoilers because it's just too early. And most people at that point would have had the game for basically four days. And that game is not something you can bum rush your way through in four days. Uh, it took me in terms of my full playthrough, uh, where I got to the end of that game. It took me 58 hours to get into that part of the game in the second half of the game and, and to wind up finishing it took that long. Um, so Sony has been really smart about trying to figure out ways to stagger the coverage one, because it's really smart to double up on your coverage uh, because you'll get some of the news cycle early on, on the first, on the first embargo. And then people will want to come back to the conversation because they'll be able to talk about the rest of the game and more feelings about it on the second round. But for the game itself, that's another bump that you'll get in terms of uh, visibility as well. So it makes sense from a Kojima standpoint and from a Sony standpoint to, to double up on that end. As a reviewer, it makes it a lot harder because you have to then try to figure out, you know, what can you actually talk about? You know, we can't show a lot of footage of the game uh, as of yet. I'll show some footage tonight on the show. Uh, so you may be getting to see some of your first real live gameplay uh, from Death Stranding for the first time ever here. Uh, mind you, it will not be past any of the, the third uh, chapter of the game. It'll be from the fairly super early parts of the game. Again, if you're watching us on Twitch, and you don't want to be spoiled. I would tell you to, 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 to go away. I will give you a prompt to tell you when we're going to show some, some footage uh, if you don't want to be spoiled. Uh, and if you're listening to the podcast now, uh, the plan is hopefully, to uh, talk about it tonight uh, in some detail. And then I'm hoping to have a couple of folks get together with me again in a couple of weeks 
uh, or maybe in a, in a couple, like a week or so. Uh, and we're going to have a, a cool roundtable discussion about it, hopefully, that people will be able to dig their teeth into. Um, and by that time, you'll have had some time with the game to kind of get your your feet wet and, and to get your 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 self situated within the world and, and, and things like that. So um, and again, you can always skip that episode if you want to and come back to it after you played the game. These things are evergreen. That's the reason why they're cool. Um, so. Starts to sit down and write about it, and, and it's a really difficult thing because if you've been catching up on any of the coverage, um, and in the past 24 hours, it's been all over the place, and it's been one of the coolest experiences I've ever ha- ever had as a journalist or as a part of the media in the almost eight to nine years that I've been doing this so far, and that's something very very special. Uh, I knew once I finished the game or when I was playing it, that it was going to be extremely divisive. I knew that it was going to be something where we would not see a lot of people uh, with the same kind of viewpoint on the game. Uh, I think people had an idea that it was going to be like this before the game dropped, but I don't think people really understood just how differently people were going to come to this game. Um, And I'll explain why. So my review talked a lot about not just the kind of fundamentals of the game, but it talked about the feelings that I had kind of towards the process, towards Kojima himself, towards uh, the ideas around what the game was supposed to be, because a lot of times we didn't really know. Uh, I think they did a fairly good job in terms of PR of not giving a lot of stuff away until that last teaser, that last uh, cinematic trailer that they did. I think, again, if you're listening to this, don't look at it because there's a lot of stuff in there that is uh, I wouldn't say crucial because the plot has lots of different things that it's doing, but I feel like it, it, it it's stuff that you would want to just be able to view in context with the rest of the game. So I would advise people not to watch that trailer. If you, if you have the means not to don't do so because there's just a lot of cool stuff in there that you don't want spoiled. Um, but, uh, I, it, it reminded me of going back to 2016 when it was my first Sony press conference at E3 uh, and I was sitting in the Shrine Theater and, and, and just sitting there in awe of the whole spectacle of what the Sony, po- the Sony uh, press conference was going to be. I'd seen so many for so many years sitting at home on my couch watching these things and then getting a chance to kind of sit in the, the, the stands and watch it unfold in front of my eyes was was something I really always remembered in that year. Kojima came back out from having left Konami and kind of set the stage again for his return. Um, I think Metal Gear five was a fantastic game, but it also had a lot of problems with it. So it was, you know, a troubled uh, development cycle on that game. And it was, you can tell by the fact that he had to leave afterward, that there were some issues that went along with that process too. So, seeing him on stage being a fan of his work, it made me really excited to be able to see what his next project was going to be. And then you had this enigmatic, super weird, out of nowhere, Norman Reedus showing, which was nuts because Norman was at the top of his game on The Walking Dead at the time. And you're like, oh, snap, we heard that, you know, PT was going to be a Silent Hill game and he was supposed to be tied to that. So there was this controversy about that game going away. There's a lot of context behind the scenes of like why it's important or why it's kind of cool for this game to be out. And he gets on stage and he's like, yo, I'm back. Uh, Everybody screams. They wild out. They're like, yo, this is really cool. Uh, And we go through that trailer of, you know, Norman Reedus, you know, without a shirt, hanging out on the beach, looking into the ocean. And these these uh, floating images of these human humanoid bodies is kind of kind of suspended in the air, you know, with no explanation as to why fast forward you know three years later um and i pop it into i put in my code i start it up get download ready i go into the game and it's one of these like really dope moments where you are anticipating something and you just don't know what it is but you're really excited for the prospect of it because you have all these emotions and all these feelings that are tied to, you know, what you, what your expectations are supposed to be. 
Um, and then when some of that thing, when some of those things get moved around and kind of jumbled, it gets you even more excited because you're like, oh, crap, I got to figure out what this is going to be. So, you know, getting through the first couple of stages of stuff, you start to kind of get your feet wet with how the systems work. So the the main things that you wind up doing in Death Stranding, because that was one of the questions that I got a lot when one once people knew that I had a, a, a code and I was able to play it. And I wasn't able to say anything because I was under embargo and NDA, so I didn't really say anything to anyone at all anyway. But the thing that I wanted to tell people was like, hey, so far I've played this game for 10 hours and it feels like all I'm doing is taking a thing from one place and dropping it off in another place. And I don't know how to feel about that part yet. And I'm in part, I'm in one of the most beautiful settings I've ever seen in a game in my life. It, it is, it is breathtaking what the Decima engine has been able to do in the hands of someone as creative and as, and as visionary as Kojima, uh, to see just a, such a beautiful, amazing kind of landscape. I'm going to show folks on stream what that looks like. So, you know, bear, bear with me if you're listening in audio form, but it's, uh, getting a chance to see what that stuff looks like in a real way, um, really brings it to, to, to the forefront where, you know, the game itself just looks amazingly beautiful. Um, it is one of those conversations when you talk about the end of the life cycle of a console and you're like, I can't believe things are looking like this. Like, of course we had stuff that's, you know, that, that has been mind blowingly pretty, but I feel like death stranding is one of the first games where I've seen people play it or, or, or getting a chance to play it. And I automatically, I'm like, this needs a PC version or like now that we know the PS five is going to be a thing. I need the PS five to be a thing now because I want this game to be already on the system. I want it to look as pretty as possible. And I want it to be as gorgeous as I can possibly get a chance to play it. I'm on a PS PS five pro and it looked phenomenal there, but I cannot wait to get back into this world again, even though again, you're doing, you're doing a really simple task over and over and over again. But it's one of those things that when you're in the middle of it, it feels like there's purpose in it. And that purpose is not just about you, but it's about the kind of ethos of what Kojima was trying to, was trying to do when he decided that he wanted to make this game about connection in this game about how, uh, we are all kind of together in this, in this space. So, you know, the, the main idea behind what they're trying to do is, you know, there's been this, this cataclysmic event called the death stranding, the, the, the lines between the living and dead have been blurred. Uh, you're not able to kind of, um, differentiate anymore, like where those places are, are anymore, but people have figured out that there are things that are connected to each other in various ways. So one of the main characters in the game is the rain. So there's this kind of toxic rain that falls from the sky called time fall. And basically time fall, anything it touches goes through its evolutionary cycle in the fastest way possible. So basically like if your hand got caught in the rain when time fall was happening, your hand would age, you know, 50 times faster than it usually would. So you'd like instantly get wrinkles on your body. Uh, if you're in a piece of, you know, if you're in a vehicle, you're on a structure or something like that, that structure would go from being pristine to being rusty within a couple of minutes. Um, so these things kind of play into not only just the way that you're thinking about the game itself, uh, about the world itself, but it like affects the game play itself. So it affects the way that you have to maneuver within the world. So, uh, one of the things I'm showing on, on the stream is basically like the, the, uh, building of a structure that other people will be able to use, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but with timefall, that structure over time will, will degrade. That thing will get rusty. That thing will fall apart. Um, and it's in a, in a, in a world where that whole thing is happening all at the same time. Um, 
so time follows one uh, quote unquote character within the game. Then you have the kind of main uh, uh, part of what you do is you're kind of this porter, which is, you know, a person who has to carry things across the world because all these other structures have been uh, uh, disconnected from each other through the time fall and through the, through the death stranding happening. Uh, you going through the process of reconnecting these, these, uh, these stations uh, to uh, rebuild what is a broken America because of this particular cataclysm uh, is an interesting premise, right? It's one of those things where you're like, okay, I get the idea of like having to make America whole. Like I get that thing. I understand what that is. It makes sense in some ways, but you're physically traveling across the country to connect these particular nodes back to the network so that they can all uh, uh, talk to the government, which is they're trying to reform the government. Um, and your job as Sam Porter made, done by Norman, Norman Reedus is to be that person who's making that transition, who's helping the world kind of reconnect to each other and who's helping kind of piece together literally the, the, the bits of uh, making that whole uh, happen again. You'll hear in the story a lot about the concept of making America whole again. Of course, we know that moniker because of the whole MAGA stuff that happened with the Trump administration. And at first it was really um, kind of off-putting. It was a thing that I didn't really like. Um, and it's heavy handed in the way that it gets talked about and they do it a lot in the game, uh, which was kind of annoying, but you get used to it. Um, it serves, it serves an actual point in the plot, which is, which is necessary. Um, but the, the ability for you to kind of walk across this terrain and walk across this part of America and this new kind of, you know, version of it is, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people talk about the game and they're like, yo, was it good? And it's funny because my wife would watch me play because I uh, basically bum rushed through it in 58 hours, spent a whole week doing it after I got home from work. Um, and every time she would look at me play, she was like, this looks like one of the most boring games I've ever seen you play. And she's like, do you like it? And I'm saying and I'm thinking to myself every time that I boot it up, I don't know. And that's that's rare. I think that that's a rare thing. Um, you don't get a lot of. Um, you don't get a lot of games that do that where you don't really have the specific answer in that way. Uh, it's either something that hits really early with the way that you kind of think about a game or it comes to you a little bit late. Um, and I feel like that's a thing that you have to think about a lot when you're coming to it. Um, it was one of those things that when I kind of went through the process of playing, I would often take a step back and say, well, what's the feeling that I'm having right now that is making me want to continue this besides the fact that I've promised a review to a, to a company. Um, and the things that would get me around the corner would be, you know, I want to see that next plot point because I feel like what they do really early. And I think this is one of the things that makes it kind of cool is that they set up a lot of the stuff really early to get you hooked. Um, they, 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 they give you the premise of what this reconnection needs to be and what it would, what it would kind of look like. Um, and if you're a fan of any kind of paramilitary, uh, sci-fi stories and things like that, you're automatically going to feel like I like what they're trying to do. Let's see if they get there. Uh, and that to me is one of the things that first initially drew me in, um, having gone through multiple hours of doing the same thing you definitely get tired. Like you definitely are looking at it sometimes and being like, yo, is this it? Is this all that this game has to offer? There has to be more stuff here on the bone. Why is this the only thing that they've put into this game? And mind you, it gets broken up into different things. Like there are absolutely other parts of the, of the game that you get a chance to engage in. Like there are absolutely parts where there's combat, um, absolutely parts where there are, you know, really elaborate and intricate cutscenes where you're talking to main characters about their motivations and about why they are doing what they're doing. Um, but for the most part, like the main gameplay loop is you getting a thing from somebody them saying, Hey, can you take this to somebody else? 
um, and then you trekking across the world to do so. Um, and again, there's vehicles in the game where you can do some of that uh, a little bit better. The, the further down the line, uh, you get the ability to build different kinds of structures that will help you with mobility around the world, like zip lines and um, and bridges like you saw uh, in the footage there where, you know, uh, you get to build those things, you know, by yourself or with other people. Um, and the story then folds itself out. I don't want to give too much away because it's it's difficult not to. Uh, and it's too early and plus the embargo. So there, but the the there's a couple of themes that came through really well within Death Stranding that I feel they, they that need to be discussed really quick is I think that the whole idea of the premise behind the connectivity parts, I think were done really well within the systems themselves, but I don't necessarily feel like the story itself gave that layer in the way that you had hoped. Um, that's one of the things where, uh, I wish that there was a little bit more exposition in some of those places. Like you do get there towards the later half of the game, but I think that in the initial parts, it takes a very long time to get the ball rolling. Um, I think that the, the kind of, uh, best parts of the game, um, were more about the interconnected systems that I saw within the game again of like, um, for instance, you'll be able to kind of move from one part of the map to another part of the map and there's different variations in terrain, right? So it's like some of the game looks like that part that is, you know, based in Iceland, right? Um, so it like has this kind of like rocky sloped mountainous uh, kind of terrain. Then there's other parts in the game later on that don't don't even look like you're in, like you're on Earth. It looks like you're on a a, a barren, you know, Mars kind of planet, um, which was also fascinating to be able to see the differences in the way that the the map that you have has these different kinds of uh, ecosystems to a certain extent. Um, but one of the things that you'll notice early is that the gating of the game comes in the form of the environment itself sometimes. So like you'll be walking from one section, uh, from one section of the world to another section. Um, and you'll come across, you know, a riverbank or something to that effect. Um, and usually you think that, okay, I can look at this thing. It looks like I'll be able to walk across it. Um, I can get like, you know, waist high into it and I'm pretty much fine. Um, your aura deck that you have, the thing that kind of blinks over your shoulder, um, will tell you often, you know, once you blink and kind of give that pulse out into the world, uh, what the depths of the, the water may be. So it'll tell you, it'll have like this kind of grid where it'll go from like a light blue to a, to a yellow, to a red. So it's like anything that's yellow or red is you starting to get deeper and you might not be able to walk across that thing without losing your cargo. Um, you'll go through that process and you will lose your cargo often. Like it's a thing in the game where it's not something where you will just automatically feel like you're able to kind of take on every form of terrain initially. But what the game does really well is it showcases the sense of weight and your sense of balance. And that in a weird way is one of the coolest parts of the game. Um, I don't go hiking often here in Oregon but my wife absolutely does. Uh, and the times that I've gone with her to go hiking, there's just like a really interesting thing that your body learns to do. If you're familiar with that form of exercise or that form of exploration, your body shifts its weight in different ways. Like you understand how to move down a slope as opposed to moving up a slope. You have a differences. You have a difference in the way that you kind of traverse things. Um, and I feel like Death Stranding does a fantastic job of replicating that enough so that I remember having a bunch of stuff on my back because the vehicle that I had taken with me wound up being broken. Um, uh, it, it got it got basically uh, killed by by time fall. 
um, I had left it out in the rain. Timefall basically like deteriorated it and it was no longer usable. And I had kind of been in a space trying to get away from the enemies or the BTs. Uh, and I just wound up sp- spending so much time in that spot that I lost my vehicle. I had literally everything that I needed on my back uh, that I'm carrying. And uh, the way that I had to shift my weight or the way I had to carry things was different. So like if you watch the character move, of course you usually see the thing that's on his back. He has a backpack where he's able to kind of just put things on it. But the, but the really cool part about that is he has like the jacket or the, the, the thing that he's wearing has all these little points on it. These little articulation points. So it's like, you can carry a thing on your thighs or you can carry a thing on your shoulders or you can carry things on your hands. Uh, you can carry them in your hands and those things will determine how you shift your weight. So it's like if you load everything that's really heavy on one side and it'll tell you how heavy things are. Uh, if you load things on one side, that means you'll have to compensate on the other side to make sure you're, you're constantly holding your backpack uh, with your hand. So, that changes if you're going up terrain that changes if you're going down terrain. So you have to constantly think about the trade-offs in the way that you want to kind of maneuver around the world in the most efficient way that then balances out your stamina that then balances out, you know, all the kind of uh, uh, body things that, that, that have to happen within that space. One of the coolest parts about it is like when you're going through the process of packing your, your bag, basically, uh, when you get your missions, it'll kind of give you this uh, ability to kind of get all the stuff that you need. Um, what you've done is uh, they have an auto button basically that will auto uh, kind of push everything in the most efficient way. So you can have a thing and it looks like it's stacked all the way up to the ceiling. If you hit that auto button, it will kind of condense all those things down into the most reasonable version of what you'll be able to carry uh, that is most beneficial to you moving around with it. So, um, that is a very cool thing to have as a part of the systems that are in the game. Um, and again, it feels like, uh, it feels like they cribbed a lot of stuff from the metal gear fob, uh, metal gear five fob stuff. So like the forward operating basis stuff where you would invade other people. You can see that the, a lot of systems that they had within that particular part of the game it definitely cribbed some of that stuff and pulled it into Death Stranding, which was really interesting. Um, but it it is it is a really interesting, weird, funky game that has so many different intricacies that is maximized with the story that they're trying to tell. Um, that I found fascinating, and I found annoying, and I found um, compelling, and I found uh it just ran the gamut of emotions in ways that i didn't expect um and i feel like the things that the game did the best were it made solitude feel good and that's a weird thing like i don't feel that that's a thing that games do well i don't think it's a thing that happens often especially when it's something in terms of games that are not horror games is it because horror games do that really well they bring this atmospheric part to, to, to everything that makes it feel like you were in this space that's really confined and alone. But you don't really get a chance to be alone in big spaces in many games. Um, that combined with the, the scale of everything, along with the way that they implement music, is one of the dopest things I've seen um, in a game in a very long time. Like They have used the licensed music that they have curated in Death Stranding in some of the best ways that I've seen in a game in a very long time. Um, and when I say that, it's not just because it's like, oh, well, they just dropped a track that everybody likes. It's stuff that fits the mood and evokes emotions in the player that feel genuine. Um, you know, walking down the side of a mountain and being able to see, you know, or being able to hear whatever track it was that just really fit the mood of the moment uh, was, was, was really cool and, and, and brought something very special to the game. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of death stranding was, uh, you saw the little footage of me building that bridge in the game. 
Uh, a lot of people wondered about what the kind of online capacity of the game was going to wind up being. Um, there isn't an actual like genuine online. There's no multiplayer in the same way that you would usually think of multiplayer. It is kind of this asynchronous uh, system where uh, you can help build uh, structures within the games. You can help build uh, places for people to store things uh, in terms of the delivery system, you can help deliver other people's packages for them, um, which sounds really stupid and it sounds kind of corny and some of it is kind of corny, but what has made the game really interesting is that part. Like, I think if there was the one aspect that I could say was the most satisfactory and satisfying part of that game, um, was the feeling of nailing that connectivity or that connectedness to other people who I have no idea who they are. Like some people I saw were playing it for review and I was like, Oh, I know that person's name. Um, but being able to help them do a thing through my, um, selflessness felt good. Like it's a weird thing in the world where we have so many people being so toxic and so many people being so aggro and angry all the time and being really mad at everything. It was so genuinely nice to be able to say like, oh, snap, I'm going to go help such and such over there finish their bridge that will help not only him or her or them, but it'll help me in my gameplay down the road. Like it's a really small thing, but it's like it's the thing that that got nailed in this game. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting emotion that you have that's connected to that. I remember going through my gameplay and knowing how difficult it was to get up to one part of a mountain or getting through a part of a mountain. And I was like, oh, I have mad materials that I have that I'm not using. I will build zip lines everywhere I go to be able to help as many people who have to play the game alongside me make their game easier by not having to go all the way through this dangerous part of this territory like that felt good. That felt really nice. Like it felt cool to be able to say like, Oh, that's my thing that I built over there. And you know, it has this, uh, Facebook like kind of, uh, uh, system within it where there's a social media esque liking, uh, activity that you do. So you can go up to any structure. Let me see if it's in that, in that piece of footage, you can kind of go up to any structure and you can, um, when you get to it, you can like it. Basically, so you can kind of hit the button, uh, your touchpad, and you can like it a whole bunch of times. Um, and that tells the person and they get a prompt on their screen when it happens that you've um, liked a thing that they've built or they've they've erected or they've put into the world. Um, and that's a it's a weird part of a currency that you have in the game so that the more likes that you get um, and the and the 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 better that you've delivered a thing saying that you've delivered it quickly or you delivered it without being damaged, uh, those likes then, uh, wind up being something that pushes your character a little bit further along. So it's like your character will then have, uh, more stability when they kind of traverse, uh, you know, rocky roads or things like that. Um, you know, you won't be as encumbered when you have certain things that you have to do. Um, and it kind of comes across both in the things that you build and also like being able to leave signs for people to say, okay, there's BTs around this corner or, you know, there's a ladder here that, that you're going to be able to use, or, you know, it helps being able to see those things off in the distance to say, okay, there's a thing that's coming uh, that I might be able to use and it might be helpful. Um, and that, that helpfulness was kind of the, 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 the main thing that brought that game together for me. Um, I remarked on Twitter earlier today about, um, games kind of hitting, at a certain point in your life or hitting on a certain emotion because you know, of things that are happening around you and to you. And death stranding was really, was really kind of cool for me because I had just come off of borderlands three playing that uh, for a long period of time and trying to finish that as fast as I could. And Borderlands 3 is a fantastic game. Like, I think it's really good, but it screams at you at like 200 volume all the time. Like everything is running at you, trying to kill you. Everything is trying to, to, to shoot you or stab you or blow you up. 
and it's screaming at you all the time. And Death Stranding came right after that. And it is amazingly serene and it's, and, and, it, and it's calming, even though parts of it are stressful. Uh, and it feels like it came to me in a really good space and a really good time when I was looking for something to not be as hectic, but to be kind of poignant. Um, and that also was the thing that I really hoped that came through in the, in the review that I shared on the Hollywood reporter was that, you know, people are going to have lots of thoughts about this game and they're going to have lots of ideas about what it's supposed to be and, you know, what it could possibly be. And, you know, does it live up to Kojima's legacy and all this other stuff? You know, a lot of people are just trying to figure out if they actually want to play it or not. Um, but for me, like it all coalesced in some really cool way. It all felt like the ideas that Kojima productions were trying to put out when let's be honest, Kojima for many, many years has kind of come off as having these very sophomoric ideas. He's had really good premises for things and he's got, he's tried to talk about hard things, but he would kind of always mess it up by throwing in some like really weird long shot of somebody's butt or, you know, some weird thing that is like a little bit misogynistic or it'll, it'll be something where it doesn't show women in a good light or it does something where, it does all this other kind of real funky stuff. Um, so it's like this game, although there are some weird things in it that you kind of throw your hands in the air and you're like, Kojima, why? Like, why'd you have to do that thing, Kojima? Like, you didn't need to do that thing. Because um, he has a little bit of Spike Lee in the 90s uh vibe to it where it's like you remember spike lee in the in the 90s where he basically had to be in every movie that he'd made and everybody was like yo spike you don't need to do that you're a great director and you don't need to do that kojima kind of did a little bit of that in this game too and it was one of those things where you're just like why kojima you don't have to do that um there's some weird product placement stuff in there that's kind of stupid the monster thing is kind of dumb um there's like weird advertisements for norman Reedus uh shows that are in there that make no sense and don't have any purpose in in the thing um but it's like those bits don't offset how cool the foundation of the story is it doesn't change how good some of the performances in the game were um i'm trying to find that gentleman's name um real quick because i know somebody put put it out a second ago on my on my twitter feed um, so it's like there, there are parts of that story that are really well done, but it also butts itself up with the parts of being a game and those parts of being a game are always difficult. Um, some standout performances, because I think that it's going to be something that we're going to talk about a lot towards the end of the year when it comes to game of the game of the year stuff. Um, and I know at the game awards that, uh, Jeff Keeley is going to wild out and do a whole bunch of crazy stuff with Death Stranding because he and Kojima are boys, so it's going to be really crazy to see how many awards that go. Uh, Death Stranding is probably going to wind up winning, and everyone's going to be like, yo, that joint is rigged. <laughs> yo, that joint is mad rigged. I don't know how Death Stranding won like 7,000 awards. Um, but Die Hard Man, who's played by Tommy Earl Jenkins, uh, who I'm dying to get on the show. I want everybody in Chicago to kind of like shout that dude out. Uh, Tommy Earl Jenkins, who plays Die Hard Man. There's been conversations about like, yo, there's no black people in the game there. I did count like four or five. Uh, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Die and Die Hard Man is the uh, one of the main protagonists or main characters within the game. Uh, and his performance was phenomenal. I think he did a fantastic job. Um uh, who else? Uh, Troy Baker, who plays the the main bad guy in the game, did a dope job. Like I was a little bit tired of seeing Troy Baker get everything in terms of acting roles and voiceover roles. I had to eat a little bit of crow when it came to Death, Death Stranding because you love to hate him. Like you hate him uh, during his time in the game, which is really, really cool. Um, Norman Reedus is actually really good in this in this thing it's interesting because he's really playing the same role that he had in the walking dead um which i i don't know it's like it's not a stretch 
because the characters are fairly the same. Um, they're both really standoffish and they, you know, there's, there's a physical reason why they, why he is standoffish in, in the game, but there's also like this emotional reason why he's, he's standoffish. Um, but it feels like he plays his part fairly well. I don't know if it's the writing or the acting that was the, uh, the culprit in some scenes. Um, I'm going to assume it was the writing. Cause I feel like Norman Reedus when he's on point can really deliver a line and can, and can control a scene. Um, so that was interesting. The Linda Hamilton, not Linda Hamilton, Linda Carter. No, not Linda Carter. Why can't I think of her name right now? Uh, the woman who plays like the main, the, the main character in the game. I can't remember her name right off the top of my head. I just, I just blanked on it. If you know, in the chat, let me know. Um, she was really good. It was good to see her, uh, uh, you know, refreshed in this, in this game, in this way, uh, to see her younger version of herself kind of reborn in some ways. Uh, Mads Mickelson was actually one of the best parts of the game, which, um, I did not expect. Uh, he had some really, really dope moments as well. Um, and I, and I think there's just like, again, uh, Lindsay Wagner, thank you uh, in the chat, Space Mojo. Um, it feels like this game, as we've seen in the past 10 hours of being live uh, in terms of having the words and the ideas around it out in the world, is not going to change the way that people think about this game. Like, I'm really excited. And I said this on Twitter, I was really excited for the discourse to start because there were so many good writers out there in the world who were giving their takes. Um, Heather from Kotaku wrote one of the most magnificent pieces of writing I've seen in a very long time. Um, I wanted to throw my article in the toilet after I saw her article, uh, but she just blew, killed it and blew it out of the water. Rob Zachney over at Vice killed it as well. Um, you know, I hope people liked my article because I can't, I think, it, you know, it came from a, a really heartfelt place and I haven't written 3000 words in a long time. So I hope people liked it and got a good vibe off of it. Um, and, you know, and Daniel Dwyer's video was really, really good. He, he talked, he kind of summed it up really well by saying this is a game that is so difficult to talk about and it is so difficult to recommend to other people because it really depends on your mood. It depends on how you feel about certain things. It depends on it's the vibe of many different factors. Um, and I think that that was like one of those things where you kind of like have to pull together all the bits and pieces together to kind of make and coalesce it into a thing. So we're going to talk more about it during the uh, next episode that we do on it. Again, I think it'll probably probably happen within a week or so. Uh, or maybe in two weeks, uh, once we see how many people we can get together for it, um, and, and, and do that kind of work together. Um, there were a couple of, uh, questions that came from the chat that I wanted to, uh, read and then give answers to, uh, TDH asks, is there something that would be annoying predominantly to Americans because of the current administration? Do you think it would bother someone not dealing with our political climate 24 seven? A fantastic question i think um i don't think i think it, i think the the game will deals in ideas around american politics in ways that i find really fascinating because they're coming through the prism of a, a japanese man and a japanese team kind of giving commentary on the kind of whackness of the american government and the kind of the brokenness of American society. Um, it was actually one of those things that I really appreciated because, um, again, Kojima has been political in, in a lot of different games. And he's talked about things that have happened within the world, but I don't think he's ever like poked directly at America in the way that he does in this particular game, which I find so fascinating because in a world where so many game uh, uh, people, not game people, so many consumers are like, yo, I don't want politics in my games. It was dope to see Kojima kind of go there. Um, at the end of the game, I, I, I was more excited to hear more of what Kojima has to say 
uh, in terms of his political beliefs and leanings kind of towards what American society is doing and American culture and American politics is doing than I ever did before. Like he talks about environmentalism. He talks about war. He talks about, you know, our government. He talks about the, the breakdown of society all in ways that aren't super profound because I don't think he nearly gets there. But seeing him throw the questions out and give small snippets of answers was really refreshing. And that was the thing that I felt um, was super, super cool um, in terms of being able to kind of quote unquote bridge gaps um, that we see in the gaming discourse from a produce, from a production standpoint, from a, a game maker standpoint. Like I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of games that are not indie games kind of dig into stuff in cool ways that not necessarily make you go, Oh, what, well, what was that about? But more about like, it's cool to see people dig into it um, who, who don't and aren't affected necessarily in the same ways uh, about American culture that a very Japanese man and a very Japanese company making a, a semi kind of really Japanese game uh, have done. So um, that's it for death stranding stuff for this episode that almost took up the whole hour uh, with death stranding conversations Um, There's a couple of things that I want to talk about as well before we get up out of here for episode 312. And we're going to do that in a second, uh, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after. podcast i'm your host khalif adams this is episode 312 of our shizzle um the last thing i want to talk about for this week is blizzcon is happening blizzcon is going down real hard in the paint uh it was a really interesting time today to see the opening ceremonies with all the controversy that has been surrounding it um one of the the two major kind of takeaways that happened during uh, the festivities so far that I cared about, I'm sure there's stuff that everybody else cares about, but the things that I was really paying attention to was, uh, the kind of, you know, setting off of the show and digging into the prospects of what that was going to be. There's been conversations all week about, you know, what's going to happen when, uh, BlizzCon goes down. Are there going to be even more protests? Are there going to be more folks kind of like going through the process of trying to figure out how to talk about what's been going on in the space and what, what is Blizzard's going to, what's Blizzard's response going to be to all that stuff um, in those same ways. And it was really interesting to see Blizzard kind of come on stage today and talk about, you know, apologizing for their inaction in terms of talking about the Hong Kong situation, or at least suspending a ca- suspending a player, um, and 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 not really kind of defending, you know, people's rights to be able to defend themselves and 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 fight for freedom and fight for democracy. Jay Allen uh, Brock came on the stage and talked about. Um, you know, not being quick enough to uh, kind of come to the stage and have those conversations. You think it's, it's probably been about a month since the initial banning or the initial uh, removal of Blitzchung from the, their tournament. But he says, I'm sorry. And I ex- expect, I'm sorry. He says, I'm sorry. And I accept accountability, accountability. Uh, he says, what exactly is our purpose? He says, BlizzCon is demonstrating it as we speak. We aspire to bring the world together in epic entertainment. And I truly believe in the positive power of video games. Um, I tweeted out 
directly right after that, I was like, that was not a great apology because you didn't really address the actual issue. Um, and, and it, it kind of sparked a whole bunch of conversations on my timeline that were really interesting, um, and really kind of frustrating. Um, there were some tweets that went out that basically, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, because I'm sorry, let me back up a step. The, the apology that I put in air quote, air quotes was shared. Then a couple minutes later, the reveal of Diablo four happened. So Diablo four, which was, you know, talked about and being, um, got leaked a little bit earlier in the week, um, was finally shown for the first time. People talked about it and people were really excited about it. Cause again, it's like, it's a Diablo game. Most people who were at BlizzCon last year were mad cause they got a, a, a mobile game and didn't get a full uh, version of Diablo. So now that Diablo's out in the world, people are excited about that thing. And there was a sentiment amongst some, some folks and peers in, in the, in the gaming industry about like, why are people excited about this thing after this non-apology? And also they haven't really addressed the issues that are still kind of in the space for them. And a friend of a friend of mine who tweeted out a thing, I shared it basically was like, look, there are so many people who are doing good work in blizzard who are, uh, uh, who have put out something phenomenal for us to kind of see and enjoy. It doesn't mean that you automatically are like letting blizzard off the hook because you are exhibiting joy and exhibiting excitement and, and displaying excitement in these public spaces. And I, and I gave that a retweet and I was like, yo, that's kind of, that's true. Like I rock with that as a concept. Um, and it kind of devolved into this really interesting back and forth between myself and some other, other people in the space about like, if you aren't, if you're going through that process of saying that a thing is cool from a place or from a company or from an entity that has done a shitty thing, are you really down for that cause? because you're sharing excitement or showing excitement for a thing. And I, and I sat there for a minute cause I didn't know how to respond to it. Cause I feel like that's just a, a very binary black and white way to look at not only this, not, not the situation cause there's a pretty easy understanding of what that situation is, but it lacks the nuance and it lacks the, the ability to look at the entities and the people who, are connected to that thing in various ways as consumers, as producers, as creators, as any of those other things, which then demonizes everyone in the section by association, which is unfortunate, which doesn't really make anything better. And also doesn't speak to the full story of what a uh, revolutionary struggle is to ways to the conversation around you know, how you want to see the thing be better in the world by the way that you enact, uh, interact with it and who you are able to uplift and help support, even if they're in structures that are, that are shitty. So I had to like take a step back and was like, yo, this is a confusing concept to me because if we are to look at every situation and not be able to in some circumstances, cause not everything applies, look at certain circumstances and say, yo, I can look, I can look and like a thing. It doesn't mean I'm endorsing the other aspects of whatever that thing is. It doesn't mean that I don't see the, the terrible practices that may be happening in a space. And it also doesn't, sh it doesn't make me a terrible or evil person for seeing other people enjoy a thing and not demonizing them for liking a thing which is something that feels like we can't at least online culture and especially Twitter culture has figured out ways to not do. It feels like in the space of trying to elevate and to spotlight issues, many times we get to, we stab each other in the backs um, while trying to stab the evil thing in front of us. So it's like, we're all standing together with our arms locked, but someone is like jabbing you in your ribs because you said, Oh, that thing was cool and I liked it and it came from a company that just did a bad thing. So I don't know what to do with that energy. 
it was something that I wanted to talk about on the show tonight because I'm just I just don't understand that part of the process. And I would kind of hope that people would be better before sharing out that that sentiment, because it's not a fully fleshed out sentiment. There are so many people who are doing that work on a consistent basis. I, I shared, um, you know, uh, uh, right after that, I was like, I'm a black man in America. I'm constantly dealing with and confronted and and having to deal with systems, peoples and, and things that are constantly uh, annoying and or uh, uh, troublesome or dangerous or any of the other things. And I have to manage a life around those things. I know everything that I own is dirty in some form or fashion. It doesn't mean that I have to then stop living my life or enjoying my life or being able to do that work without being able to also acknowledge that some of those things are tainted. It's a very nuanced position to be like, yo, it's a very unnuanced position to be like, yo, you like a thing that's terrible uh, and you're a, that makes you a terrible human being and I can't rock with you for doing that thing. The people I want to be around are people who can admit and do the self analysis and do the self audit of saying, I understand that the world is not perfect. I understand that everything is tainted because we live in a capitalistic society. We live in a world of human beings that are, that are fallible. And we live in a world where human beings do terrible shit all the time for various reasons. And also not everybody's going to be just as mad at you at mad at a thing in the same time frame. And with the same amount of energy, with the same amount of zeal that you may have for a thing at the same time. So don't crap on those people because those people can be allies for you too, allies for your cause, but you crapped on them because you're like, why weren't you mad? At, weren't you as mad as I was mad when I was mad? <laughs> and it just doesn't do anything. Like I, I, do, I want people to be better about thinking about their particular role in how they do that thing. And again, this isn't me absolving anyone for bad behavior. This isn't me saying Blizzard is 100% right about any of the stuff that they've done. To be honest, I think they've botched some stuff in this whole process. But it doesn't mean that the people who made that Diablo 4 trailer should be demonized as well. We shouldn't laud them for the work that they've done because they've made something that just on site alone has gotten everybody excited who was excited for that thing. It's okay to like things. It's okay to, to, to be able to take a step back and say, these things are not always coupled. You don't have to couple everything. Um, there are cause and, uh, cause and effect aspects to some of that stuff. But again, like you don't have to link those things and then also ascribe people to being terrible because of their inaction. It's annoying and it doesn't push things forward Inaction doesn't push, push, push things forward, but there's other people in the space that are doing stuff. So why are you focusing on the people who aren't doing things? Focus on the people who are doing stuff, who are actually pushing things forward, who are actually talking about issues in a real way, who are using their platform for good and using their voices to uplift people and to, and to give them good spaces. So before we get up out of here, that was my little, my little rant about that stuff. Cause I feel like it's important to be able to differentiate some of that stuff that we currently see in the space uh, that isn't helpful and doesn't really build any bridges. I'm kind of going back to, to death stranding. I feel like you, we need to be doing better in terms of building those bridges and not just demonizing people for the sake of liking things now. Um, Cause that's just dangerous. And you'll live a life that is just not full of any joy. Like don't steal people's joy. You can tell people to be self to be self-reflective, but also don't take people's joy. This, this world is full of hate. Well, it's full of issues. It's full of problems. If people who you know are usually on point, don't steal their joy. Just let people like things and then just hold that for a minute and then deal with it later. You have the ability to do it. You're grown, you're grown people out there in the world. And that's the reason why I love y'all because Chicago folks are dope. And we pay attention and we, and we lift each other up and we look out for each other. So with that said, uh, I'm about to get up out of here. I, I ran a little bit longer than I usually do, uh, for the show. I didn't even get to talk about, uh, any of the other stuff that's happening, uh, of late. Uh, there's going to be some fun stuff 
uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. We have a new sponsor as well. Mad love to the folks over at Ewin Racing. Um, they have gotten and came together and finally made good on the campaign to save cause ass. Hashtag, sa- hashtag save cause ass. Uh, everybody who has been listening to the show for the past couple of weeks understands that I've not been able to play uh, games for long periods of time in my in my room where I stream because the chair that I had was fairly terrible. Currently, we are rocking a new E-Win chair, which is fantastic. You can see behind me if you're watching the stream uh, what they sent over, uh, which we'll do a full review of and put that on the YouTube channel. And also, if you are a person who rocks with Bricago and wants one of these chairs, you can get 30% off if you use the code spawn on me at checkout for that kind of stuff. Again, uh, we put up the new merch this week. Mass people went out and copped one. Thank you to that. Uh, thank you to everybody who shared some good words with us about uh, all the cool things that we're trying to get done. And to everyone who shared a good word about the, the, the review uh, today and during the week, I really do appreciate it. Uh, it is good to be able to flex those muscles again um, in real ways. And I'm hoping to be able to do even more of that work in the future. Uh, and I would love to do more reviews like that, um, especially with some Sony products. So mad love, uh, shout out to, to, to Sony. I can't talk today. Uh, and mad love out to Patrick Shanley uh, over at the Hollywood Reporter for giving me the opportunity to do it. So until then, we're going to see you all next week. Uh, I'll let you know if there's going to be any other uh, uh, appearances and things like that. I think I'll be on Gamertag Radio this weekend uh, as well. So that means I have to get up at 630 in the morning to be on this show. <laughs> so that's going to be madness. Uh, but we have more fun things coming down the road. Um, and everybody here in Chicago, everyone here in, uh, Twitch land and podcast land and in, uh, x-ray land. We love you all. Thank you so much for rocking with us here on the spawn on me podcast, and we will see you all soon. The spawn on me podcast can be found every Tuesday on all podcast platforms and Portland radio at xray.fm at 107.1 slash 91.1. You can find us live every Thursday on twitch.tv slash spawn on me. If you want to reach out to us on the show, you can hit us up on our site, spawn where you can find all our social media information about our Twitter, Instagram, and everything else alongside our contact page. If you want to reach out and shoot us a message or a business inquiry, much love to you all. Thank you so much for listening every week. And we say, Peace.